people each week is a nervous tick that just get my sermon started. No, I'm just very picky about where it's sitting. I want to go over here. I don't want to fall off the edge, and it's, it's a whole spatial thing. Um, we're spending several weeks right now on uh, the real Jesus, and in the last couple of days, I've been going back over this sermon. Uh, I've, it occurred to me that it was way too long to be one sermon, and so uh, welcome to this week's sermon, part one. Uh, at some point tonight, I'm going to land this plane with something that's going to feel a lot like to be continued. And that's intended to tease you to come back next week and hear the rest of this lesson uh, about how Jesus changes something about his followers, the apostles, and also uh, Saul, who became known as, as Paul. In this series about Jesus, uh, I've kind of got in, in my mind, it's divided into two parts. And the first one is the one that we've been working on so far. And the one that we've been working on so far really wants to explore how do we know that this Jesus existed? How do we know that, that he walked in this world and in Judea and Galilee and in Jerusalem? Can we be confident that he really was crucified and that he was resurrected and he got out of the tomb? How can we have confidence that these things are historical events uh, that, that took place about 2,000 years ago? And if we know those things, what difference does it make in the world and in my life? Because those are very different questions. Did these things happen, and do they matter? But then where we're going, just so you know where we're going, is not talking about this Jesus, but it's saying if this Jesus historically existed, if we can have confidence that this man, Jesus of Nazareth, was born to Mary and raised by Joseph, and that, uh, that he did all these things that people claimed he did, does it matter? And if your answer is yes, then there's a whole different side of Jesus that we need to consider, which is, do you know him, and is he your friend? Is he your brother? Do you have an, an, an intimate knowledge of Jesus and who he is and the kind of things that, that he did and said and the kind of person he was, so that as you say, I want to be a follower of this person, that you have any sense and any clue what kind of a person it is that you're following and trying to model your life after not as someone who lived a long time ago, far, far away, but as someone that you've got a very real relationship with. That's a very different thing. The past couple of weeks, we've really talked about the historical nature of how the Bible's put together and that people from over thousands of years and very diverse backgrounds and writing to very different audiences came together to write what would eventually become an incredibly cohesive collection of books, 66 books written by some 40 different individuals and groups. If you weren't here last Sunday to see our, our Bible authors presentation, where we had like 38 different people on the stage talking about where the Bible came from and how it fits together, uh, go check that out on YouTube. Uh, it was a blessing to me, and I was certainly appreciative of everyone that was involved in that. Um, and it, again, is getting to this idea that we can have confidence in Scripture. Because it's not that someone just sat down one day and said, I'm going to write all these stories to manipulate all these people to my benefit so that they'll behave, they'll treat each other in a certain way, and the world will be a better place. It's not like that. Scripture is complex, 
and rich, and it tells the stories of, uh, of Israel, and it tells the stories of the apostles, and it tells the stories of the earliest Christians and the Romans that, and the Greeks that come in to be part of their, their body of believers. And all of these people are experiencing God's very consistent plan throughout all of human history. That's the story in this, in this book. And it ultimately is leading us to believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he makes all the difference in the world if he actually lived and died and got out of the grave. It changes everything. And when we're going to look into these stories in the Gospels and in the book of Acts, and we're going to be largely in the book of Acts this week and next week, uh, one of the things that we need to do is look at some of the people that were around Jesus, his apostles, uh, Paul, who becomes the, the great early missionary in and writer of much of the New Testament, uh, something about those guys changed dramatically. You know, when we see people in our lives and we come across them and we see that something about them has changed, we often wonder, boy, you seem really different than the last time I saw you. Something's changed. I mean, when you see a young adult and they're usually full of life and energy and enthusiasm, and, and a couple years later, you see them, and they're just exhausted. They're just completely worn out. Do you know what's happened in their lives? They had a kid. I saw some moms that were just nodding, like, I know, we know. We don't, I mean, we can wonder, and we can check, but we've got a pretty good idea. you got a friend that used to come out with you every Friday night, and you go to them and you say, hey, uh, let's go out this Friday night. It's been a while. Where have you been? Why don't you come out anymore? Nah, I'm just going to stay home. Man, it used to be so much more fun. What happened? We got married. Something changed. It behaves differently after that than you do before that. Uh, you go to someone and you go, boy, you're out of your pajamas before noon. What changed? Got a job. Something pretty dramatic changed in that person's life that changed a lot of their behaviors, like when they wake up and when they go to bed and how they dress. Depends on the expectations of their boss and employer or their spouse, or their children, and the demands that are placed on them. But, but we see people all the time. You see someone who, uh, back when I was, you know, some of you haven't been here long enough to know, but, but I'm significantly, I'm way less than I used to. And at one point, when I was losing weight, people would come up to me and they would ask, Hey, are you okay? I'm like, I'm not sick, I'm just watching what I eat. Relax, it's okay. But people want to know. Something about you is changing. What's causing this change? And that's an appropriate question for us to be asking when people go through dramatic and transformational changes in their lives. When we look at the apostles, and when we look at Saul, who eventually comes to be known as Paul in the New Testament, their lives change dramatically, not just once, but four different times. On four different occasions, they go from being one kind of person to living in a totally different way. And when we read these stories, we have to be asking, what could possibly have changed in their lives that explains even one of those major transitions in their life from how they used to be to how they were afterwards? And if we begin to get into these transformations and trying to explore what changed, what you're going to find is that Jesus showed up and made a difference in their lives. And it's going to, uh, on, on the one hand, give us confidence that what the Bible claims happened 
actually happened, but it's also going to give us, I believe, expectation and anticipation that if we want to become followers of Jesus, we should expect to be making these kinds of transformations too. That's what we should be looking forward to. So in the opening pages of the gospel stories, we see several uh, characters from history, several individuals. Uh, we see probably John and at least one of the other apostles were disciples of John the Baptist. These were individuals who uh, would have been with John on the edges of the Jordan River preaching to people a message of repentance, looking forward to days that the kingdom of God would start to look more like a kingdom that actually belonged to God. And these disciples one day heard John say about another man who came up, this is the man of whom I told you, whose sandals I am unworthy to even untie. And they said, boy, we really wanted to be here for what John was going to do, but if this guy is that... And that's who we need to follow. And they go from being disciples of John to being disciples of Jesus. And they leave the life they did have for one that they're going to have. Jesus came across Simon and several others who were out fishing. And they're in the boats in the shallow waters and they're casting their nets and they're catching fish. And Jesus goes to them and he says, listen, you're fishermen. Why don't you consider becoming fishers of men? Why don't you consider, instead of trying to bait and to ensnare and bring into your boat fish, trying to bring in and invite into God's kingdom people? And we know the story so well that we take it for granted. But have you guys ever seen those TV shows with the guys that are out fishing? If you're a religious leader and you're watching that channel and that show, are you sitting there going, these guys are the elders of the future? These guys are the rocks upon which I want to build my church. That's what Jesus does. Fishermen, uneducated, untrained, that's established in Scripture. How do these guys know the things they say and teach the things they're teaching after growing up fishing? And if you'd have gone to these fishermen and asked them, hey, uh, what do you want to be when you grow up prior to Jesus showing up? What would they say? So I want to be what my dad was and his dad was before him. I've already got the nets and the boat and the skills uh, to go out into the water and fish and make a living. We eat a lot of fish. We sell a lot of fish. All kinds of fish. What do you think about being a rabbi? Why in the world would I become a rabbi? My father's father was a fisherman, and now I'm a fisherman, and this is what I know. It's, what, it's the only skill I've been, I've been given. Yeah, but, but Jesus shows up and says, hey, I want you to leave your nets just right where they are and follow me. And they leave. They leave. He goes up to Matthew, a tax collector, someone who raised money for Rome, the occupying force that was over uh, the Judeans and over the Jews. And he goes to Matthew and he says, hey, Matthew, people in Israel think that you're a traitor and that you're more interested in earthly kingdoms than in heavenly ones. But I think you should leave your job that is probably profitable as a tax collector for Rome and become one of my followers. And Matthew says, okay, let's go. There's another of the apostles who is a zealot, and a zealot wasn't a job description. A zealot was more of a, uh, an ideology, and the ideology was this, that Messiah would not come back until Israel was faithful enough to start a revolution against Rome. 
Uh, and then as soon as they started the rebellion, that Messiah would show up and lead them forward into a great conquest. And so if you're a zealot, uh, you don't have an army. There's only one way to wage war against a, a country like Rome, and it's something like ancient terrorism. But you don't have the weapons of terrorists today, so you're an assassin. Your plan is to be an assassin killing important Romans so that when uh, when they come to conquer Israel, because you keep assassinating their important people, Messiah is going to show up and lead you to a great victory. And Jesus says, what if you leave that ideology and I come teach you about a kingdom that doesn't look like anything you believe? And he says, yeah, I think I'm going to do that. And over and over again, Jesus calls these individuals Leave every dream you've ever had, every skill you think will help you in your life, every career that gives you sustenance and puts food on your table, and just leave it. Come follow me. And what's incredible is that they do. They do. And they don't, not in the pages of the text, we don't know the conversations they were having up in the margins of the notes that we have here in the Word of God, but what we, we know is that they seem to, almost without question, say, if you are who I think you are, and if that means what I think it means, then this is more important than anything else I've ever planned for my life, and I'm willing to leave that behind to follow you and figure out what this is all about. So they leave it. And when you ask the question, what would make a tax collector and a zealot and, and disciples of John the Baptist and fishermen all willing to leave their dreams and their careers and their lives and their communities to go follow this rabbi, you have to conclude that it's something pretty significant. It's not a nobody. It's not a maybe. There's something about Jesus that when he shows up and he says, hey, leave it all behind and follow me, that they go, you know what? Yeah. Yeah, I want a part of that. And so they go from this ragtag group of people who are following Jesus. Suddenly, they're the most unusual followers of a rabbi who has power from God to do incredible things, who has the ability to speak and willingness to speak truth to powerful people while giving compassion to the weak and broken. These fishermen and tax collectors and zealots and disciples of John the Baptist are constantly going, what is this guy all about? We left all that to follow him, and we're just trying to figure out what kind of a king and what kind of a kingdom this is that we've staked ourselves to. And along the way, they have all kinds of arguments about which of them is the greatest and who will sit at his right and left hands when it comes into his kingdom. Jesus says to them, a time is coming when I will be taken away and, and they'll be, take me away and crucify me. And, and, the, and this is going to happen in, in Jerusalem. And some of the times they say, Jesus, no, this isn't going to happen. But most of the time what they do when Jesus says, I'm going to leave you, they say, who's second in command? So we know who's in charge and gets to take over once you're gone. Jesus' foretelling of the death and resurrection almost always leads to an argument about which one of them gets to take over after him. Which of us is the greatest? On one occasion, uh, two of their moms, one of their moms even shows up. Two of their moms. Two of the men share a mom. She showed up. It says, Jesus, I have a request on behalf of my sons. Can you allow them to sit on your right and left hand when you come into your kingdom? Because they, they're all thinking about this earthly kingdom and they're confused about what it's about. 
They don't understand, but they're following. And they struggle to have faith in the storms, and they struggle to have faith when they're in hungry crowds. And Jesus says, listen, you guys feed them. And they go, we can't feed them. They see logistics instead of opportunity. They see the lack instead of the abundance that comes when you're traveling with Jesus, the Son of God. And in all of these moments, they're struggling to realize exactly what it is that they've left their lives for. Because they've made change and transformation, number one, leaving behind all of that to follow this Jesus. But they're still stuck in the mud of, what is this all about? What could this really be? So ultimately, when Jesus gets to the final week before the crucifixion, and He needs these guys the most, He calls Peter, James, and John. He says, listen, come pray with me on the Mount of Olives. Come pray with me. I'm in agony tonight. Come stay awake and pray with me. And they fall asleep. And He wakes them up and He says, listen, I'm, I'm begging you. Stay awake and pray with me. And they fall asleep. And before the sun rises the next morning, one of those who had left everything to follow Him has betrayed Him with a kiss. Ten of those who left everything to follow Him have now abandoned Him. And one of those who left everything to follow Him has denied Him and denied Him and denied Him. They're struggling to grasp that if they will only have enough faith to continue following the one that they left everything for, that things are going to be dramatically different. In the days after His death, the apostles are huddled in an upper room. They are fearful, forgetful, doubtful, hiding, and confused. They don't know what to do with the fact that He was crucified on a Roman cross and that He couldn't be who He claimed to be. And keep this in mind, they saw Him walk on water. They saw Him call Lazarus out of the tomb. They saw Him feed thousands. They saw Him calm storms. But if He got killed on a Roman cross, then He isn't the Messiah. That's their understanding in this moment. Even though Jesus told them it was coming, they didn't get it and they don't understand it. Two of them are leaving Jerusalem to just go elsewhere on the way to Emmaus, and Jesus shows up to them on the way and they don't recognize Him. And they begin telling Him everything that's happened and how they thought this man might be the Messiah. And this mysterious stranger, resurrected Jesus, begins to explain to them all that had to happen and from the Scriptures, how this is the fulfillment of everything that they should have expected, but didn't foresee in Jesus' super-secret, hidden-in-plain-sight job description. At the end of it, they break bread and they realize that this is Jesus. And they run back to tell the others. And Jesus appears to the others in the upper room and they touch His hands where the nails went. They touch His side and they see that, that He is, in fact, alive. And they're still struggling to believe. And so He says, listen, I'll eat. Because even in the ancient world, they understood that ghosts don't eat. If you've ever seen Casper the Friendly Ghost, he puts food in his mouth, it falls to the floor. Jesus puts food in his mouth and it stays in him because he's enfleshed and alive. And I'm, I'm, it sounds silly when I say that, but that's what's happening with the resurrected Jesus. They're skeptical. They're questioning. Sometimes we get this idea that, that because they're pre-scientific revolution, that someone just comes back from the dead and they're like, well, sometimes that happens, I guess. They're not. You know what humans have known for all of human history? Is that dead people stay dead. And, and when someone who was dead three days later is not, and you can touch them and, and see them and feel them and they're eating, you're shocked. 
you're not going, well, who knew? Dead people come back sometimes. You're shocked, and they're terrified. Thomas comes back. He wasn't there the first time. And Thomas gets all the grief. He only does what everyone else has already done. Uh, Thomas comes back. He doesn't doubt Jesus. They all doubt Jesus. Thomas doubts his friends. That's who he's really doubting. Because all of his friends say, here's what happened. And Thomas says, I don't believe you. That sounds crazy. I'll believe it when I get to see it, touch it, experience it, eat with him myself. When Jesus shows up and does that, he goes, oh, oh. So 40 days later, when Jesus is with the apostles and he's ascending into heaven and he gives them the great commission, he says, now go into all the world making disciples and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching all of them all the things that I've given you. He's giving them the great commission and they're worshiping him as they see him ascend into heaven. And now things have changed. They were just just weeks ago, fearful, forgetful, doubtful, hiding, and confused. They were willing to leave everything, and they followed this guy, but if he's crucified, he can't be anything. But if he's resurrected, if he has ascended to be with the Father, then not only is he something, he is everything. So in the first pages of Acts, I want to read this beginning part of Acts, and I want you to hear how different things are. They're still in the upper room. It's still just their group. But listen to how different their attitude is in these early verses of Acts. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote all about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. By the way, fun fact, uh, a Sabbath day's walk is shorter than any other day's walk. Why? Because you can't work on the Sabbath. You can only go with Sabbath day's walk a short ways from the city, just outside the gates. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers, who have now become part of their number. 
In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the Scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number, and he shared in our ministry, and he talks about the passing of of Judas. And then in verse 20, he says, uh, picking up in verse 21, he says, Therefore, because Judas has passed, therefore it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. From one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. They nominated two men, one called Justice and the other Matthias. They prayed, they cast lots, and God selected Matthias to replace him in the twelve. But look at how much things have changed. They go from fearful, forgetful, doubtful, terrified, huddled masses up in this upper room to being a group that is worshiping God, that is in prayer. They're gathered together with gladness and joy. But not only that, they're now filled with expectation and anticipation about what's to come. They're not saying, what do we do now that everything we've done is lost? They're saying, what do we do now now that we need new leaders and new leadership to guide us forward into what's next? They're still huddled in a room with the already convinced. We're not evangelistic here yet. We're still in a room with people who all believe that Jesus is the Messiah and have believed it for a long time. They're all still there with people who have seen the resurrected Messiah and believe that He is the Son of God, crucified and resurrected, ascended to be back with the Father. They're all in agreement on this. But what could change this? How do they go from terrified to confident? How do they go from hopeless to bringing about new leadership? What what could explain that? And if you've come up with anything other than the resurrection of Jesus Christ and that He got out of the grave, I don't know what it is. Maybe they could make money off of telling people this. They got poorer. Maybe they could get fame. They got dishonor and shame. Maybe they could could have a life of prosperity and, and influence. They almost all end up being killed and being made martyrs because they said, I can't deny that Jesus got out of the tomb and nothing's been the same since. I can't. They suffered for it. Their lives would have been better if they denied it and moved on, but they wouldn't because they knew it was true. What changed from the upper room to the upper room? Jesus showed up. He said, touch my hands. Feel my side. Let's break bread and eat. Jesus showed up. And He changed everything. We're going to pick up next week in Acts chapter 2. But here's what you need to know. is the first thing you have to do is decide whether or not you're willing to even follow Jesus a few steps down the road and leave who you used to be and try out this Messiah and see if you can learn who He is and what He's about. And the second thing that you do is you decide whether or not you're willing to give up absolutely everything because you believe that a resurrected Messiah means that nothing else It changes everything. There's still two big changes to come. Changes that come when we begin to live out confidently uh, through the other transformations that God has in store for the apostles in the book of Acts. The other transformations that God has in store for every single follower that claims Jesus Christ by saying, I believe that He existed 
I believe that he matters and that it changes things. As a result of that, I'm willing to become one of his followers and be baptized into him so that I can be clothed in Jesus and live like one of his people in the world. That's the call. It's the invitation. Is constantly to be shaped and transformed by being willing to learn more about this real Jesus and who he was and why he matters and the difference he makes. If you're not convinced, come back next week. But if you are, come forward this morning as we stand and sing. Yeah,